over the next, um, over the summer months, we're going to be looking at um, some songs, some song lyrics from the Bible, the book of Psalms. And uh, we're just going to choose random psalms in, in, well, in God's particular order. He'll tell us which ones to study at which time. But uh, they won't necessarily be in numerical order. And we're not going to do 1 through 150. And we likely won't be doing Psalm 119 all on one Sunday morning because there are 176 verses in there. And it would probably take two hours to read the whole thing. So, but we are going to be looking at the book of Psalms because there's something that I love about that book. It's, it's gritty and real. I had a conversation this weekend with a family member who actually confessed to having some anxiety issues, which was <clears throat> unusual for my family because I don't know what your family's like, but we like to t- keep a tight lid on things. The septic tank is tightly bolted down, and we don't let anybody see into that kind of thing. But every once in a while, you have to crack open the lid and clean it out or deal with that stuff, and woof, <gasps> wow, what a smell. But this person in my family was actually admitting to having some issues, which is kind of reassuring because everybody in my family's got issues. I don't know what your family's like. And so we talked a little bit about that. And sometimes um, in the Christian circles, we pretend not to have problems. They may be glaringly evident to other people, but we you know, want to present a front and want to present our image and preserve ourselves. But the Psalms kind of break through all that nonsense, and they're gritty, and they're real. And that's why I thought it would be good for us to look at some Psalms this summer. How are we doing here, Tamara? Are we uh, on screen? Brilliant. Psalm 40, I called, is really a psalm from, a song from the pit. Uh, I don't know if anyone can relate to being in uh, a pit lately, but uh, that's kind of what the, what the theme of the psalm really is. How many people here, when they read the book, when they read a certain book, how many people can remember the opening line of a famous book? Can anybody remember the opening line? Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Anybody know what book that comes from? A Tale of the Two Cities by Charles Dickens. I think it's one of the best lines, opening lines. I mean, it's practically the only one I can remember. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah, Shannon? In a hole. Oh, beautiful. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Anybody want to take a stab at what book that was from? Great. <laughs> Something about holes. Yeah, great. And so uh, uh, an opening line kind of leads you into the book, right? One of the books I read in seminary as I trained to be a pastor had this as an opening line. Life is difficult, period. Tell me another one, Einstein. Life is difficult, um, the book is called The Road Less Traveled by a fellow named Scott Peck. And Scott Peck's point was that 
Life is difficult. We can all relate to that. And, but where we really get ourselves into difficulties by denying that or trying to get away from life's difficulties instead of saying, okay, let's embrace them and deal with them. And Psalm 40 is all about the fact of how do we deal with life's difficulties? How do we deal with the pits that we can sometimes find ourselves in? Psalm 40 begins like this. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Actually, when you look at the psalm, it's 17 verses, and I'm not going to read all of it for you this morning in the interest of time, but uh, you can read it. That's your homework. Go home and look at it when you get home. But the first half talks about one pit that David was in that, that God somehow delivered him out of. And then the second half talks about, oh my goodness, David's in another pit. And he's praying for deliverance out of that. Isn't one pit enough? And we don't know exactly what the nature of this pit was. Uh, we don't know if it was uh, family trouble or... Maybe it's probably better that it wasn't. It was a little more general because if it was too specific, we might not be able to relate um, to this. But a pit is a pit is a pit, and this pit was mucky and miry. It was think of Manitoba gumbo. Has anyone here ever tried to dig a hole in Manitoba gumbo? It is. Sorry, I've lived in other parts of Canada. There's nothing like Manitoba mud. And I'm not saying that in a complimentary fashion. But you, you walk through this mud, and even if you're walking through a muddy field or a muddy farmer's field, all of a sudden your, your boots or your shoes get about three times heavier, and they get three times wider, and you're sort of staggering along, kind of like in Frankenstein style. And then try to get it off your shoes. And out of your car, you're finding it for the next few weeks. Manitoba gumbo. I suppose it has a few redeeming qualities. I'm not sure. Maybe we should ask Frank, our civil engineer, see if it has anything good about Manitoba gumbo. But it is so, it drags you down. And so David is saying, here I am in this miry pit, clay. I can't even, I can't claw myself out of this pit because it's so slippery and mucky. I just can't get out of this hole that I'm in. How do I get out of this pit? We don't know exactly what it was. The second pit that David refers to seems to involve some sin or the consequences of his sin. The problem with sin is it's bad enough that sin is sin, but sin has consequences, right? They catch up with us. And that really bites us in the end because we can't escape the consequences of our sin. As well, there seems to be enemies out to get him who would delight in seeing him come to ruin. I don't know if you can relate to that. But there's one thing I know for sure. When you are in the pit, you will be tempted by your own efforts to get out of that pit. When we're in the pit, we'll be tempted to get out by our own efforts. And here's what David says. Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud. 
or in those who worship idols. It's easy for us to try to figure our way out, want to figure our own way out of a problem instead of relying on God. And that makes things even worse and more complicated. But there's something about the human spirit and our independence. It says, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to fix this. Luanne and I were recently having a discussion about something that God is working on in my life. And at one point, I got really frustrated. And I just blurted out to her. I said, I'm going to make something happen. Which, when you think about it, is totally stupid. It was a really dumb thing to say. It doesn't mean that I don't take initiative in life and I don't make choices. But I can't fix myself. I can't change myself. And you can't change yourself either. You can try. Over a short-term period, you might see some success. But in the long run, we can't change ourselves. But God can when we cooperate with him, when we submit to him, when we make him the boss, then he starts changing us. So you see what a stupid statement that was? I'm going to make something happen. So David is saying, first of all, when you're in the pit, you will be tempted to get out by our own efforts. And that's why he says, oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud, independent, and in those who worship idols, those who follow false gods. So, remember, first of all, if you're in the pit, don't try to get out by your own effort. Next slide, Tamara. Let's try that. You don't seem to be working here. Oh, thanks. We'll go back one. Thank you. So instead, we're told in Psalm 40, wait on the Lord. Are there any fans? There's an obscure Irish musical group I went to hear a couple of years ago in Winnipeg. We three, something like that. You two, that's it. Okay, you two. Okay, I knew it was something like that. It's kind of a catchy name, you two, whatever that means. They have this song based on Psalm 40, they just call it a really clever title. They call it 40, or however you pronounce it with an Irish accent. And it's kind of a tradition to sing at the end of uh, a YouTube concert. It's kind of interesting. And it starts off like this, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. And that's kind of the theme of uh, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. That's how we get out of the pit, waiting on the Lord to show up. Now, this waiting is not passively. It's not sitting at the bus stop, twiddling our thumbs, or looking on our phone to see, okay, <clears throat> Winnipeg Transit is late again. Come on. It's even worse when it's, you know, minus 40 outside in the wind chill. But it, it's not passively, la, 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 waiting. Waiting on the Lord means putting all our energy and focus on Him, saying, all right, God's going to come through. I know He's going to come through. When? I don't know. But I know He's going to come through. Waiting on the Lord means several things. We'll go through these quickly, okay? 
Okay, I don't mean to reduce this beautiful piece of poetry to just a how-to session, but there are some things that we can glean out of Psalm 40 here. Waiting on the Lord means crying out for deliverance. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh, my God, do not delay. This is hard for proud people, right? To admit, God, I'm a mess. I need your help. you got to change me. The best thing that could ever happen to us is for us to hit absolute bottom in life and saying, Jesus, you got to change me. I've got no other options. Because until we do hit bottom, we try to claw our own way out of the pit. How's that working for you? It doesn't. You only get more bogged down and more frustrated. So waiting on the Lord means crying out for deliverance, first of all, and seeing that, Lord, you're my only source, my only way out of this to deal with this situation. Waiting on the Lord also means recounting what he's done in the past. Psalm 40 verse 5 says, Oh Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. Now think about this. David's in a pit, but he is remembering how God has delivered him out of previous pits. Life seems to be one series of pits after another sometimes, doesn't it? But to encourage himself and to give himself perspective on the situation, David says, hey, wait a minute. Let's think about how God has intervened in the past. Oh, yeah, I remember that previous pit, that previous situation that I was encountering. God showed up. He revealed himself to me, and he bailed me out. He rescued me. He says, man, if I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. There's something about a thankful heart and a praising heart that gives us a totally different perspective on our situation. We grumble and complain about it being too hot or being too cold. It's funny how we do that at different times of year, right? Like yesterday was really, really hot. We wouldn't be complaining if that was January. We'd be doing a little happy dance and getting the cafe tables out, wouldn't we? But it, there's something about being grateful that gives us a healthy sense of perspective. And it's good for us when we're in the pit to recount what God has done in the past to give us courage to face the future. Waiting on the Lord also means obeying him. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings now that you've made me listen. I finally understand you don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I've come. As it is written about me in the scriptures, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I'm going to say something unusual that may surprise some of you. God really doesn't care if you show up on Sunday. I mean, he does. Hopefully it's helpful for you. But he doesn't. He could care less about what kind of religious procedure you follow. It's not about religion. It says here that God does not require burnt offerings or sin offerings. He's not interested in your religious observance. Okay? 
Oh, I'm so glad I could check that off the list. It's the beach next weekend. Woohoo. But what I'm saying is, God is not interested in you just looking good on the outside and looking religious. That, that don't impress me much. That's what God is saying, okay? But what he's really into is our heart. He wants to see us obey him. Read the last two lines here. It says, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Wow. How many of us could say that God's instructions for life are written on our hearts? That's how God changes a person. Because all of a sudden, his values become our values. His life-giving power flows into us and starts changing our attitudes and changing our values. And all of a sudden, we start experiencing the life the way our Creator intended us to experience life. Wow. And it becomes not onerous, not a religious obligation. It becomes a voluntary surrender saying, I take joy. Giddy up, God. Let's see what today's going to bring. I'm excited about what you're going to bring across my path today. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. So you see that waiting on the Lord isn't a passive sitting at the bus stop, is it? It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of effort. Waiting on the Lord means seeking Him. Trying to connect with God. Looking for Him. God, where are you? You might find Him in nature. Sometimes I find Him in my backyard as I'm sitting and I was trying to do that this morning, getting ready for this morning, getting focused and saying, okay, God, where are you? You might find him in a conversation with a friend. You might find him reading the Bible and praying, listening to music, whatever. But waiting on the Lord means seeking him. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, the Lord is great. You should try that. The Lord is great on three. Ready? One, two, three. The Lord is great. Okay, that's a, not a bad warm-up. We're going to try it one more time and see if the neighbors will pay attention. Okay, ready? One, two, three. The Lord is great. It's kind of fun. Imagine carrying on in church like it was like a hockey game or something like that. Why should the MTS Center have all the fun? The Lord is great. And may those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, the Lord is great. So waiting on the Lord means seeking Him, okay? Looking for Him. Even if, when you're in the pit and, and the, the walls are just miry clay and you can't seem to scramble your way out and you've given up scrambling out on your own, which is the brightest thing you could do, and you start waiting on God and saying, Lord, deliver me. And you start obeying his commands. And we start seeking him. Wow, things really start coming together. And then, miraculously, when we're out of the pit, and before we fall into another one, when we're out of the pit, we proclaim his goodness. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. 
Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. I've told all your people about your justice. I've not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I've not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I've talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I've told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. So, all these things we're thinking about, all these things we're trying to practice, as when we're um, in the pit, and remember, it's not a, a passive uh, resignation. When we're in the pit, we wait intently on the Lord. We don't turn to the world for answers. We turn to God. It means crying out to Him for deliverance, trusting Him, recounting His many wonders and blessings, obeying Him, seeking Him, and rejoicing in Him. And then, when we're out of the pit, we blab it. We tell other people, saying, you'll never believe what happened to me. You'll never believe how God rescued me out of this mess. And we share it. And we share our stories. A few weeks ago at that baptism party that we had, those are great stories, right? Of hearing how God has pulled people out of pits and, and delivered, uh, delivered them and, 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 and is changing them. That's really good news. I want to close with a, a story of a, a friend of ours that we got awfully fond of when we were church planting in Ontario. Uh, this lady named Michelle had encountered a lot of pits in her life. She had some uh, really challenging background, but Jesus had changed her and was changing her from the inside out. And whenever you went to a prayer meeting with Michelle, she always started off the prayer in the same way. She had a little liturgy. Now, it's kind of ironic because she probably would have thought a written-down prayer wasn't very spiritual, but she tended to pray the same way every time. And it was a little bit predictable, but almost kind of reassuring because she had kind of a rhythm in the way she prayed. And when she prayed, she prayed like this. Jesus, you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You lifted me up out of the miry clay and you set me on a rock to stay. And then she'd go on with the prayer. But every time she prayed, she would pray like, Jesus, you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You lifted me up out of the miry clay and you set me on the rock to stay. Just kind of a nice rhythm to it. But I realized now, at first I thought, oh, Michelle, it's so corny. Get to the point, you know, what are you going to Stop the preamble. But I think she did that to help her focus on who she was talking to. It's kind of like when we start the Lord's Prayer. We say, our Father. It's like, oh yeah, who am I talking to? And I realize now that what she was quoting, she was kind of quoting scripture, quoting the, the first couple of verses of Psalm 40. You lifted me up out of the miry clay and you set me on the solid ground to stay, the solid rock to stay. That's what God promises to do for us when we are in the pit. Some of us are in some serious pits. You might be, you might be together with someone in a pit. You might be by yourself in a pit. Or you might be coming out of a pit. Or you might hopefully be just about to fall into a pit. I don't know. That's life. Life is just full of pits and things happening, right? 
But I want us to encourage each other and to apply this talk this morning. Because it's so important in life to know that God promises to be with us in the pit. And he promises us to deliver us out of these challenging circumstances that life brings across to us. It's so important. But we can't do it on our own. We have to learn how to wait on him. And waiting on God is this aggressive, passionate, putting our trust in him, submitting to him, saying, you are the boss. I will obey what I know in the moment. I will trust in you. I'll remember how you rescued me in the past. I will put all my faith in you. And then God acts. Then he shows up. In his timing, not ours. God is not our, he's not a delivery boy. He's not a pizza delivery guy, you know, 33 or it's free. He's, you know, but God will act when he chooses to act because he does know best. I want to pray for us. Some of us are facing serious pits and serious challenges. I don't know what they all are. They might be job-related, money-related, family-related, health-related. I don't know. There's probably as many different pits as there are individuals here. And maybe some of us are in more than one pit at the same time. Who knows? But let's give it to God and let's ask Him to show us how to wait. Wait on Him. All right? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for Psalm 40. Thank you that you inspired uh, David to write it down. Thank you for all the different musicians who set it to music and in different styles and in different ways. The bottom line is we're supposed to wait on you. We confess that waiting is hard. It's hard. We want to do things our own way. We're independent beings. We don't want to submit to your lordship, but we know we need to. So I pray that you help us to resist the temptation to find our own way out which usually ends in disaster. But help us to learn how to wait on you, to depend on you, to seek you. And when we get out of the pit, remind us to share it with other people saying, hey, God delivered me. For those of us who are struggling with health issues, family issues, financial issues, uh, mental health issues, all these different things, Maybe there's a pit we're in that we, we feel too embarrassed to say to anybody but you. Lord, for all of us who are struggling with pits today, will you please deliver us and sustain us, teach us how to wait on you, and I pray that you would deliver us in your time. Help us to trust you, and I know that you will show up in your power in your time. We confidently submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.